Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello there, everybody, and welcome to the Untitled Film Podcast with Callum and Johnny. Uh, this week we have a fun, super duper loaded voice? episode. What voice? <laughs> with Callum and Johnny. <laughs> that didn't sound like that. I mean, there was a pause. I mean, the pause is you, you could have driven a car through them. <laughs> like the pause. It's for, uh, what's the word? Um, decorum. <laughs> Yes, we're, we're full of decorum and respect, <laughs> and we're very genteel. I think I am about something. <laughs> Anywho, um, as I was saying, before I was rudely interrupted, uh, this episode is going to be a fun, jam-packed one. Obviously, the Oscars is in a few days, and I think we're going to be talking a little bit about that. And uh, we've got two very interesting comparisons to make between two things, one of which is great. One of which is less great, and we'll see <laughs> see what side of the fence we come on on those in a minute, in a little bit. A fair assessment, yeah. <laughs> cool. So first off, um, we have a thing where people can contact us. Would you like to tell us a little bit about that, Callum? <laughs> yes, we'll do. Um, we you can find us under the name Untitled Film Podcast, one word on both Facebook and Instagram. And please do get in touch, comment on any of our posts, send us messages. We really like getting messages and we'll read them out if we get any. Um, and there's a siren. Um, lots of fun, interesting stuff on there. We're going to be posting a lot more regularly and uh, you can interact with us and uh, chat with us. And that's cool. Yeah, absolutely. No, it is in very cool. <laughs> <laughs> cool like cats yeah. <laughs> so um, well that brings us quite nicely into the news should I do my news jingle 
Um, no, um, for, for, for the viewers, we had a production meeting last night and Callum was banned from ever doing a news jingle ever again. It's not going to stop me singing, though. And that was also banned. We were talking about bringing in a paid version of the podcast where we take out all of Callum's singing, but... And it will make a bajillion pounds. Exactly. Or dollars. I, I think... Um, I personally think we should just we should just cut it out for everyone. It's just for the best of the podcast, but really. The best of the viewers' health and listenership. Absolutely. Anywho, on to the news. <laughs> um, I think we yeah we're going to kind of give you each a piece of news this week, and then follow up with maybe some predictions for the Oscars. So, Callum, first off, what is your first well your your only piece of news this week it's my only bit of news this week i saw a rather beguiling trailer just uh just as i was leaving the house it's for a german film it's set in venezuela and it's called my neighbor adolf about a holocaust survivor who is living in venezuela in the early 60s and he gets a mysterious and rather grouchy neighbor played by Udo Kier, and you know when Udo Kier's around, things are not good, <laughs> with a big old beard, and he suspects that his neighbour is Adolf Hitler. It looks like one of those European comedies where the comedy doesn't quite translate, because it's like, you know, lots of knockabout stuff are like, you started the Holocaust! Right, okay. There was, I felt like there was a sitcom in, the, in like, the 80s, or the... No, I think it was the... Or the very early 90s that got to about three episodes oh, and then got cancelled. Oh, you're thinking Honey, I'm Home. I, no, I was thinking of My Neighbour Hitler. Well, is there, that another one? There is. Uh, well, maybe that might be one. It was a British one. It was going to be, it was one of like the launch shows on Sky and after like three oh. episodes they were like, uh-oh, this is not good. Well, we if, that, it. if that is a different show, that's not the first time that's happened in the UK because in the 80s, I believe, there was a sitcom called Heil Honey, I'm Home. That was a sort of piss take of the honeymooners, so like 1950s. Maybe um, it was that. Maybe you know, I'm getting uh, the too conflated. E- uh, Eva Braun holding a um, uh, a rolling pin, and like, if you get lipstick on your collar, Hitler, I'm gonna bash you. But, oh, wife, and the New but York it was, accent. But it was set in like the. It was set in the modern times, though, wasn't it? The, the one that I've seen. Oh, well, was. maybe these are two different shows then, because this was sort of broadly although they didn't specify it was broadly set in the 50s in order to parody the honeymooners and those american sitcoms where people get clonked on the head and goes i'll bash you to the moon and stuff like that except the characters were eva Braun and hitler and they had two jewish neighbors that moved in next door and that was you know it was a bad taste where nothing could have saved it hmm it, may, it sounds like it is maybe the same show I'm thinking be. of. But anyway. We could be conflating two different yeah. things, or we could be talking about the same thing. <laughs> Anywho. But no, um, I, I kind of, yeah, uh, that sounds like a very strange concept for a movie. I'm not sure <laughs> yeah. how it's going to translate. It probably won't go down well here in the UK. I think it's been out in Germany for a while, but it's only just coming out to the UK. Fair enough. So my piece of news this week is also trailer-related. It's kind of multiple trailers, really. Um, it was... You can kind of guess when we're recording this. It was the Super Bowl a couple of days ago. Uh, and in the Super Bowl, there was quite a few film trailers. Some for films that hadn't got trailers yet, and some showing new footage um, for films that are already out and the, the or coming out very soon. 
Well, I think the thing that struck, struck me most about them all uh, was I think every single one was a sequel. I can't think of any f- trailers that I saw that were a sequel. So it's like Guardians 3, The Flash, I suppose it's not a sequel in the strictest of sense, but it's part of the it DC Cinematic continues. Universe. It's a character that really yeah. exists. Um, Fast and the Furious 487 or whatever they're on now. I, I think it's ridiculous. 10, but 487 we'll say. Um, for the family. For the family. Yeah, I'm not going to go too into depth on that. Um, Scream 6, I want to say. Yes, it is 6, yeah. Scream 6. Um, what else was the trailers for? Can you think of any others? There was others. But they all stayed, anyway, they were all pretty much sequels or part of franchises. And I was like, you think there'd be one original film in the bunch? But evidently not. It'd be a good opportunity for... a. They might not have the budget for this to put a trailer during the Super Bowl, but for a nice mid-budget film, maybe not quite Oscar baity because it's a bit too early, but something that's sort of you know, well, thirty, forty million dollars. Or what's happened to studios greenlighting just the occasional film, just one a year from one of the many, many studios that is a big. It's going to be a big budget movie if it's got a bit, if it's got a slot in the Super Bowl. But why can't we have one that's an original piece of content? I know they sometimes don't do well, you know. I know that there's the occasional John Carter of Mars out there. Or, but it's worth the risk. It's worth the risk. And I mean, they have the money to spend. Yeah, I know. Why does everything have to be... I mean, Disney have got to the stage, and they've had great success at some times with it. They make a lot of films that are pretty much based on rides in theme parks and stuff. So, um, but yeah, why, why if they can... T- well, yeah, why can't they have someone have an original idea? They can do that. Why can't they do it again? Well, I'd, I'd rather they didn't make it based on a, uh, even a ride from a theme park. Let's just have something original, have a new idea. Anyway, that's my little rant. But The Flash, I thought, looked interesting. Um, I, I feel a bit bad for it because I don't know when it was originally, originally meant to come out, but I've got the feeling it's been like in the can for a couple of years, um, which would mean in a lot of ways it probably predated... Spider-Man, whatever the most recent one's called, I forget all their names. Uh, um, Far Mold, From Home? Far From Home. No, no, that, um, no. Homeward Bound. No. That's the one about the dogs, isn't it's it? Homecoming. Homecoming. Um, Far From Home. Honey, I'm Home. Um, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Home Alone. Um, uh, yeah. Spider-Man, uh, Home Alone. Yeah, whatever it was called. Anyway, uh, and uh, for those who haven't seen the trailer, Michael Keaton's back as Batman. Yes, yeah, that, that's, that, that brought a little flash. Yeah, I was quite excited about it, but I just, yeah, anyway, it just, it, I feel bad for them because I'm like, everyone who watches this is going, wow, well, they're just doing what Marvel did. And uh, quite clearly, they probably were in production at about the same time. And, you know, what? it is unfortunate when these things happen. They yeah. hit on a similar idea at around the same time and they just lost the race. Yeah, yeah. Anywho, on to predictions. So um, let's just have, let's do best picture first off. What are, you, what are you thinking? I think that it might go to everything, everywhere, all at once. It seems to be that little movie that ended up grossing 50 or $60 million in the US and 20 or 30 further million worldwide. It has the spunkiness of, um, you know, sometimes when... when Hollywood really goes gaga over over an original movie. 
it has that spunkiness and it just seems to have everything going for it. It's had a lot of the precursor awards. I think it won one of the Golden Globe, one of the best picture Golden Globes. I can't remember which one. Best picture drama, best picture comedy, something like that. So I think it's going to be that. Interesting. I still haven't seen it. I think it's quite a weird year, actually, um, for, for best picture. And partially because there's two real kind of cloud crowd pleasers that aren't necessarily like the best reviewed films which is Top Gun Maverick and, and Avatar The Way of the Water which is kind of unusual really for those oh, normally well I don't know now they've opened up to 10 you do get more of that but you know they're kind of in there all quite in the western front obviously did very well at the BAFTAs but I haven't heard much noise from it in the States Women Talking seemed to get a bit drown, a bit kind of like buried um, in, yeah it's not buried and drowned Triangle of Sadness. Um, I've heard some really mixed things. It's a bit of a Marmite movie, um, so That's I can't no imagine it winning. No chance of winning. I no. mean, the fact that it's got done as well as it has, mm -hmm. it, that's that's its own reward. Tar has kind of got buried again. I think it's more of an interesting case in that one for Best Actress. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. The Fablemans, again, for the kind of movie it is, I haven't heard that much buzz about it. So I do think it's a two-horse race, personally, between the Banshees and and um, and everything, everywhere, all at once. I'm interested to see which one it is. My, if you'd have asked me to pick between the two of, and I haven't watched um, everything, everywhere, all at once yet, is my little caveat. I've watched Banshees now, um, but if I was to pick one of the two, I think I would probably fall on Banshees. Let's just go for that. I just think I've heard more buzz about it, but then maybe that's because maybe that's because I'm Europe centric. To maybe actually in the states, more people talk about everything for all at once. But yeah, I think I think you're right. I think it's, I think it could be either of those two. I think it's a tight one to the end. And what they tend to do when it's tight is they'll give one best picture, yeah, one best director, one um, best screenplay, one best screenplay, and that's sort of how they divvy it div, yeah, divvy it out. Let's do. I think we should talk about actor and actress. What are you thinking for best actor? Best actor, I think it might be Brendan Fraser, just because of the whole narrative around him, the you know the, the rewarding him, welcoming him back after his exile. He's a an acceptable and pretty face for the Me Too movement because he was abused. Um, you know, it, he's someone who um, you give him an award, he'll be quite placated by that. It's also a very ripe. Oscar Beatty film, even with the mixture of reviews, I think the people who are going in hard for it are the awards voters. And I think they, they might be, even if they don't necessarily think he's the best actor, I think they might give it to him just on the fact of the, the narrative around it. I think it's quite close. I think Colin Farrell is probably high up there in the race, but I think he might have been knocked to second just because he doesn't have a similar narrative. I think... Um, don't think it's going to go to Elvis. Uh, I forgot the Austin answer. Butler. Austin Butler. Um, just because, honestly, biopics don't usually win for best actor. Um, they, they tend to get quite high up there. Remy Malik. Oh, oh no, you're right. And uh, Jamie Fox. I was thinking of uh, Joaquin Phoenix, um, uh, who, who didn't win, and a few others who didn't. So yeah, it's a, it's a mixed bag. I just don't. I think that while he might deserve it. Possibly, I, I, he's my second favourite of the best actors that I've seen. While he might deserve it, he's young and they tend to kind of go, okay, this one is your nomination, but your next one is your win. 
we've already rewarded a young bloke a couple of years ago. Can't give it to another young bloke. I think, you know, again, it's all narrative driven and all, you know, uh, about that race. Yeah, I kind of see what you mean, but I also have heard real mixed things, like really mixed. And and not... uh, I, there's some people have really lauded him, but there's some people have been really mixed on his performance as well. And the whole and issue of wearing a fat suit. Well, that too, and yeah, I, I have to admit, I just the the trailer to the film to me, I just seem as incredibly unappealing. Yeah, same. <laughs> um, so whether that that puts me off, I have to admit, it's hard between Colin Farrell and, and Austin Butler for me. Um, you've not heard that much about Bill Nye or Paul Mascal this year. You know, they've been nominated, obviously, but they're not... People aren't going out and talking about them on the streets. I mean, they're small British films, and the fact that they've been nominated at all is pretty impressive. a good thing. Yeah. But whereas the top three movies, or the top, you know, the ones that we both think top three have all been talked about one way or another, I think Colin Fowles had pretty much universal praise. So if you wanted to, to go from a consistency point of view, you probably would say Colin Farrell. But sometimes the Oscars, I actually kind of disagree with you about biopics. I think the more, like, uh, my opinion of Bohemian Rhapsody is it's a stinking pile of shit. I really hate that film. And I quite like Remy Malek in it. He's one of the, he's one of the few redeeming features of it. Um, but I, to me, it's not an Oscar-worthy performance, and the fact that he won that makes me think it could be Austin Butler as well. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna put my neck on Austin Butler. Well, hopefully, I, I would be happy with either Colin or Austin. I'd be very happy with either win. Yeah, fair. And best actress? I think best actress is probably a two-horse race, or at least it was up until this whole business with, um, um, oh gosh, I forget her name. Um, the the one that was nominated for to Leslie, uh, Andrea Riseborough. Um, so th- it's been a bit of an interesting one with this one. It, it was a two-horse race between Michelle Yeoh and uh, Kate Blanchett. And Kate Blanchett was, give, gave the powerhouse lots of shouting. Michelle Yeoh, not just a career win, although it wouldn't, even if it was a, co- a career nomination, that wouldn't be a bad thing. But she is also blinding in it. And it's very much a deserving place. And she is has to go through a lot in that film in a more... Um, strange sort of way, as mm. is the nature of that film. But then To Leslie came out, and the campaign around To Leslie is that all the famous people in Hollywood started like the week, the week before the nominations, kind of the ballots were due, said, Vote for To Leslie, don't for- vote for the others. They're shoe ins, they're going to get it. They're definitely going to get a nomination. So why not vote for To Leslie instead for Andrea Riseborough? So that might be a snake in the grass. You never know, it might sneak up. Be interesting to know how many of those people as well who kind of came out on the side of it are members of the academy and, and have a vote too. I know, you know, maybe it's forty of the who are talking about it. Um, but it's not that many votes in total, but if if they're kind of then going to their friends, you know, go and yes. vote for this, go and vote for this. Um, I Kate Blanchett's won before, hasn't she? I think twice. Yeah, so. I, I always think quite often the Oscars like to give it to someone who hasn't won it before. They either like to give it to someone who's won it nine times or <laughs> never won it. I, I would so certainly hope so. I kind of think uh, my gut is Michelle Yeoh. I would, um, love, I would really love that. But yeah, I have heard the same thing with this two Leslie stuff as well. So who knows? Um, we are recording this two weeks before the Oscars. There could be some massive swing in momentum. Although I suspect most of the, uh, the voting is almost complete. But, but yeah, anyway... <laughs> Callum, you knocked the microphone Ooh, again. Boy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, and uh, finally, let's do ble- best. Let's do best adapted screenplay. Let's just throw a random one out there. <laughs> okay, I'm going to have to remind myself of what's been nominated for best adapted screenplay this year. Well, would you like me to tell you? Oh yes, that'd be nice. Thank you. Uh, what has been voted for uh, is Glass Onion, A Knife's Out Mystery. Mm-hmm. Which, how is that adapted? What's it because adapted it's from? It's a sequel. Um, that, that's the rule with sequels. So if a, a sequel is nominated for screenplay, it can't be original because it's based on the previous film. That's the logic. I'm not sure if I agree with it either. I don't agree but that's with that. Like um, Before Sunset was nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay because it was a sequel to Before Sunrise. Okay. That's what they, they want to go with. I mean, I, I think they're wrong, but okay. Uh, women Talking, Living, Top Gun Maverick, and All Quiet on the Western Front. Ooh. I think either All Quiet on the Western Front or Women Talking, I'm going to go with. I think All Quiet on the Western Front too. I think uh, if they're going to reward it for anything, it will be that. Yeah. Because, you know, it's, it doesn't have enough momentum for Best Picture because, you, know, you know, we've only had one foreign film win Best mm. Picture. And again, it could be a case of, oh man, I'd really love to give this one best picture. Oh, we can give it a screenplay. Yeah, that, that, that's the consolation prize. I think that's usually what they do. I also think it's it's quite a weak category, and it probably is the strongest of those movies. Like, it's you know, none of the films are bad, but no one's going to be saying, top, you know, twenty years time, that Top Gun Maverick that had a best <laughs> screenplay kind of script. Yeah, I mean, what about the screenplay of Top Gun Maverick is worth nominating? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That minute where he go, that bit where he goes, "Hey, bullseye" or whatever they're Ice called, Man. Ice Man, Hangman, Dibbly Dong. Do you know? I think he should have got a nomination. I think Val Kilmer should have got best supporting. It was very touching. It was. It was really well done. Actually, I think it was one of my favorite things about it. But for those who haven't seen it, watch out for that moment. Anyway, uh, I think that wraps up our um, our kind of. Oscar discussion <laughs> and uh, on this bumper edition of the news yes and I think we should probably use that as a time to jump into our first review propel us into it do you want to take the honours for the first one yeah let's go for it so the first thing we're going to talk about this week so for, for anyone who hasn't read the titles is we are looking at chef based TV dramatic TV shows and the first one we are talking about is called The Bear which came out to um, big acclaim uh, kind of towards the end of last year. Um, And season two is already well in the works. The Bear is about a young man whose brother owned a, you know, one of those kind of like really good Chicago-style sandwich restaurants who killed himself. Uh, and his little brother, who is a top flight chef, comes in to take over the business and kind of, I suppose, turn it round almost um, because it's in massive financial difficulty. And um, there's a cast of characters, including his cousin. I want to say it's his cousin, isn't it? I think the impression I got was that they were they're very close friends, and cousin just sort of became the catch-all term for how they. Uh, yeah, I couldn't tell each if other. he was friends or cut. But anyway, very close friend slash cousin. Um, and a whole host of other people that work um, that he has to slowly win around onto his side and does with great gusto. Um, not wanting to give too much to the plot away. <laughs> uh, Callum, what were your thoughts? Oh, I thought it was excellent, uh, first off. Um, 
it, there's been a recent slate of uh, kitchen-based movies because this came around not long after. That's your TV show. Uh, movies, t- TV shows, and and you know um, all sorts of media with more realistic depictions of what it's like in the kitchen. So recently we had uh, the Stephen Graham film Boiling Point, which was all uh, done in one take. And that, that was me banging the table <laughs> that time, sorry. Um, and uh, now we're getting this, and there have been a few others. And what both of those dramas do, and especially this, I think it's more successful than Boiling Point, is they show just what chaos goes on in a kitchen and it is such a perfect place for drama it's not to say that every episode is tied to the kitchen there's plot threads kind of drifting off the sides there with the various characters um so you get the 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 cousin slash friend and and his insecurity around kind of being pushed out of uh, pushed to the side of his own business in which he's the business partner because a younger newer chef that um uh, the main character hires a young woman. She comes in and she starts to just organize things and and say, okay, well, if we wear this and if we work in these shifts, things will work a lot smoother and a lot better. And they do. And there's that sort of insecurity. There's also a vague sort of uh, crime thing kind of going on. What I found so successful about it is that they didn't feel the need to escape too often like to try and make it like how can we make kitchens an interesting drama oh i know let's put in a crime drama and let's kind of base it around that and then it comes back to the kitchen but instead it's the other way around it's rooted to the kitchen and then there are these threads elsewhere and because it does make sense because a kitchen is such a chaotic place there's so much going on the the best episode is the penultimate one so i think that's episode out of eight episodes that's episode seven and it's done an all-in-one take, and it's after they get this glowing five-star review, but before they open. So it's the 20 minutes, so they're, they're, they're arriving, they're prepping, and they're just about to open, and everything goes wrong. I don't want to give anything more away than that, because it is fantastic. And I don't know whether this came out before Boiling Point, or if Boiling Point came out first, or if it was just a case of... About the same time, about, I think. It was about, they about overlapped, the same time. Yeah. Um, because it's, it might be a case then of two similarly themed products having the same good idea let's do this in one take so that episode is a one i don't know if it was digitally stitched together or if it was all done with one camera movement but that is one of the best pieces of tv i've seen in ages and while the other episodes that maybe aren't quite that that is a perfect episode so it's an almost perfect product around kind of floating around a perfect episode Johnny, what did you think of The Bear? I really liked it. I watched it a little while ago um, when it pretty much first went on to uh, Disney+, Plus, um, which is on in the UK. I assume it's probably on in America as well, or Hulu. I think it's, it's on FX. FX. Yeah, well, so it's FX, but I think FX stuff Hulu? goes on Hulu. Okay. I think so. You can tell us on our Instagram, uh, yes, American people. <laughs> please yell at us. Yeah. Um, anyway, and... Um, uh, I absolutely loved it. I think I watched the whole thing in, if it wasn't one day, it was two days. Like I, watched, I really just devoured it. Devoured. Hey. Hey. Didn't even mean to do that. Um, <laughs> and I, yeah. No, I, it is incredibly engaging, incredibly well acted. Like you said, it, the majority of the drama and stuff comes from the day-to-day of running a kitchen and there's a bit of family drama in there and, the crime stuff is kind of almost like it's peppered around the edges because it's peppered. 
<laughs> because it's in <laughs> Chicago and kind of like known as a bit of a crimey city, I suppose, from like a gangster point of view and and stuff. So, um, yeah, it, it just works on every level. I would agree that I think episode seven is probably the best. Um, but that's not saying that the others is not, I mean, it is a high bar it is like you say, you know, there's one, there's a few episodes in TV that you watch and you're like, Oh, okay. And it is one of those episodes. Like it's like the last episode of season three of succession or, um, I do like a show. I have to admit, I quite like a real time episode that's done as a one Um, there's a few out that floating out there and they're just, they're quite often just incredibly intense. And where boiling point, the whole thing's a one and it almost feels like they have to, I don't know, push for time and fill they it out a little bit. This didn't. Do. Yeah. Because this is what, 22, 23 it's 20, minutes? It's less than half an hour, certainly. Yeah. So it's really tight and it leaves you wanting more, which is kind of what what you want from a show. You don't want to get, I'd rather like, something left me wanting more than, than outside it's welcome. Um, so no, I just think on every level it worked really well and I am incredibly excited for season two. Oh, yes, absolutely. I think one thing that's uh, really excellent about it is Chicago is still a bit of an unknown city to me. I, I can't say it is in the way that New well, York... Well, if you watch Chicago Party Art on Netflix, you'll find out all oh, about okay. Chicago. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, but Don't do it. Okay, fair enough. I will not do that. Uh, but, you know, in the same way that uh, New York and Los Angeles and London have been covered to death from the grittiest of handheld camera dramas to the glossiest high productions i can only think of like two or three other shows sets or movies set in chicago that aren't gangster epics and it seems to me like the people that created this show and um everyone kind of making sure that the drama is as realistic as possible they haven't seem to have a real love for that city um mm. they, the, the, there's several montages of, of scenery one played to sufjan stevens song chicago and there seems to be quite an earthy quality. Like, they're quite proud that their city is a lot grimier and grittier. Like, that, like they're, they're proud that, that gentrification hasn't happened quite in quite such a broad sweep as some other cities. The only other show I can think of that was set in Chicago that where it didn't make a point of, hey, we're in Chicago, is uh, the sitcom Happy Endings, which is Please another... never do the accent again. <laughs> I just hear, I can hear people turning off as we speak. <laughs> From Chicago, I'm a gangster. Um, which again is a similarly, tonally, sim- in, in a weird way, quite tonally similar in that they're both very proud of the fact that they're the grittier version of whatever it is. So this is a, 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 a TV drama where you really feel quite filthy and need a shower afterwards. And I think that's part of the desired effect from being in the kitchen too long. Everyone's dripping with sweat. And again, and uh, something like Happy Endings is a good example of, it's a nice fluffy sitcom, except it's not nice, nor is it fluffy. And these characters are horrible. And that's the way the show likes it. So I think there's a real pride to showing people, look at this, we're really not sanitized and you're going to love it. Any city that has one of their like, most famous restaurants is the Wiener Circle. Did you know about the Wiener Circle? <laughs> no, Wiener Circle is this restaurant that does hot dogs and things that's open like late at night and the staff just abuse the clients, like absolutely <laughs> just go at them. That sounds fun. Um, yeah, it is, I think. But yeah, anyway. But yeah, well, exactly. I think that tells you what yeah, you exactly. know about Chicago. But no, in a good way. It's yeah, fun. exactly. Fun. It's, they seem to be quite prou- proud of that fact. Yeah. That they're kind of quite aggressive. Yeah, no, I agree. No, it is, and I think it it works on many level. 
Chronicles. And yeah, no, really, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I highly recommend watching it. I don't, I'm, I'm begrudged to say too much because I want to say loads, but I don't want to, to give stuff away. It's tricky. Um, it's a tricky it's, one to review in that way. It is, yeah. It's, um, but no, it is excellent. And it's a really easy watch. Nice and short episodes. Um, yeah, I highly recommend it if you haven't watched it. And it's only eight episodes this season, although I think next season's going to be ten. Yeah. But no, great news. Speaking of, well, not news, I suppose, products, have a listen to these ads. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'd buy that for a dollar. For fuck's sake. <laughs> Got in there. Never again. <laughs> I'm going to turn his microphone down for a whole episode next time he does that. <laughs> you say that, but I'll just shout Are out. you going to go, oh, for anyone who doesn't know, that was from Robocop again, like well, you do every fucking week. Well, they don't know, you see. You see, so the th- here's the thing about that quote, right? Yeah, okay, you're listening. Okay, so that that is from, okay. Right. It's from Robocop. <laughs> it's from Robocop. Anyway, so we are next. The, the Callum is no longer part of this podcast. He is banned up, from this podcast. So I will review no, no, the no, next no, no. show. On. It's my turn. So the next show is called Kitchen Confidential. Come on. I, I, I Do you keep, promise to be good? I promise. Right. Okay. I'm going to turn him back on, listeners. But if he's not good, I'll turn him off again. Right. Is the settings all okay? Because that's yeah. always the risk when you do that. It is the risk when I do that, but I've got it down to a T, to an <laughs> to art And if I don't, then Rob will fix it, I'm well, sure. <laughs> so work Rob. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, anyway, so Kitchen Confidential is based on the book by Anthony Bourdain and resembles it almost <laughs> no, in no way. <laughs> And it's about a character named Jack Bourdain, who is nothing like Anthony Bourdain. He's he's a you know he, he's a devil with the ladies. He's, he's a bad boy of the kitchen, but not in the way that Anthony Bourdain kind of was. You know, uh, where he was kind of proud about the fact that he worked with so many different people who with so many war stories and cuts on their arms and burns on their arms. This guy's more of a just well, he's played by Bradley Cooper. Prior to the Hangover, made him super, super successful. So imagine Bradley Cooper in two thousand five or six. That's who you're thinking about. That kind of swaggering douchebag kind of bad boy. And he runs a kitchen. Um, I think it's called um, Melita. Melitas in New York City. Although I guarantee almost none of it is shot there. It came out around two thousand five to two thousand six, I believe. 
Um, it only lasted for one season, and it was during that wave of sitcoms where they were starting to move away from laugh tracks and trying to go a little bit more realistic, have a little bit more... Single sort of, camera. Yeah, single camera, uh, ha- have uh, shows about uh, professions rather than yuppies in cafes drinking coffee all day. Um, and, you know, f- it, it's, so it's a tricky one to place, and... Uh, while it does resemble the book and the, the real man almost nothing at all, we're here to find out whether it has its own successes. So, Johnny, before I say anything, what did you think? As someone who is a mega, mega, mega fan of Anthony Bourdain and his works, what did you think of the TV show Kitchen Confidential? Bradley Cooper, Nicholas Brandon, John Francis Daly, John Cho, Bonnie Somerville, Jamie King, Franklin Jeller, these uh, Sam Pancake, these are just some of the all-star cast that was assembled, some previous to their um, rise to fame and some... What's the name Sam Pan- Pancake? Was that a real name? Yeah. <laughs> I thought you you know, made... he's, he's the waiter. Oh, I thought you slipped in a fake one. <laughs> <laughs> no, I genuinely didn't. <laughs> I, I, I think there was a hesitation of me saying it before I said it, because I was like, is that definitely his name? <laughs> anyway... <laughs> That you've been to my point, my very cogent point was that um, for a show and Anthony Bourdain's amazing source material, and when you look at like the directors like Fred Savage, the showrunner, like oh, what was the showrunner? The showrunner's done like some incredible shows that have got. Oh, I think the showrunner of like Sex in the City and and very Melrose Place and things. Blimey. Um. And this got to 13 episodes, didn't even get a full season pickup. And I think that kind of tells you all you need to know. Like, it has all this talent and all this skill, and it doesn't quite come together. There's something off in the recipe. It doesn't, doesn't cut the mustard. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah, it doesn't so It doesn't kind of work. There's something massively wrong. I'm a massive Anthony Bourdain fan, as you, as you kind of said. Like, he's one of my idols. Um. And it just doesn't really distill him into the show at all. Having said that, as kind of like a, you know, fun background sitcom, um, I mean, it falls down that it's only got 13 episodes, but if it had three seasons or four seasons, like, it's perfectly fine, background Sunday hangover watching. It's very kind of inoffensive, really. Um, It's a bit stereotypy at times, but other than that, very inoffensive. Um, it's it has a few belly laughs in every episode, or a few little chuckles in every episode. Kind of starting to like the characters when it come, like suddenly cuts off because they've run out of show uh, or run out of money to make more episodes. Um, so yeah, it kind of works from a point of view from from that point of view. But as a kitchen confidentials show, it doesn't. And I think it was something we were discussing earlier, pre-recording, it kind of get has the vibe of it that they bought the rights to Kitchen Confidentials and they had a spec script for another thing and then they changed a few bits about the spec script to make it mildly kind of connected, like they changed a few of the names. So the lead carrot guy who was probably called like Jack Pancake originally and they changed it to Jack Bourdain because uh, I guess close, slightly closer to Anthony Bourdain and one of the guys in Anthony Bourdain's book who in the book's called Bigfoot is called Pino something so they'll call the the, the guy that owns the restaurant Pino and make Franklin Langella do a slightly Italian accent and then they um, there's a character in the book's called Adam Last Name Unknown so 
they have a pastry chef that they have him for one episode who's a bit weird called Adam, which I assume is a nod to Adam, last name unknown and stuff. So <laughs> other than that, it's just so surface, the things they try and copy. Um, and it just, yeah, comes across really weird. The other thing that is a slight weird thing is there was a film that came out like 10 years later with Bradley Cooper in that has almost exactly the same storyline called Burnt, but that's another random aside. But no, as a kind of a sitcom to watch, it's fine. As a Kitchen Confidential thing, not fine. What do you think? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I you said inoffensive and background watch. I think that's pretty much perfectly sums it up. Um, one thing I will say is that just because... I was raised on sitcoms that were coming out around this time. So I would have been about 14, 15 when this came out. Um, I have a bit of a nostalgia for this particular era of television, Scrubs and My Name is Earl. Kind of fits in quite neatly with those. But while those were trendsetters in the single camera sitcom game to try and change the way that sitcoms were viewed, uh, Scrubs made a point of being quite realistic about the kind of work doctors do, uh, doctors do mm-hmm. but in a silly way i think this you can this is a trend chaser and i think it's trying to do something similar to that at least in kind of like what if we had something in a kitchen but kind of like what scrubs does mm-hmm. so people get cuts and bruises and stuff but but in a silly way and they still sleep around a lot and all they're all fabulously handsome and hunky but it feels like there was a spec script for that and they were like, ah, oh, we've also got this IP, let's merge this, them. Let's merge the two. So on that basis, like you said, it's got a couple of chuckles here and there. Um, the cast is very likeable. Um, they're very all very good looking. So, you know, it, it's there's nothing... It's all appealing in all the ways that a kind of nothing sitcom should be. And I've got a little bit of nostalgia about that era when there was a lot of money going around. One thing that holds it back, I think, is that a kitchen is quite a hard place to set a comedy because there are only really two sets. There is the kitchen and there is the restaurant. So again, bringing this around back to Scrubs. Kitchen the dining room, you mean? Yes, dining room, sorry. Um, bring this back around to Scrubs. You have quite a lot of locations in Scrubs. You can really spread that show out and that it benefits from that where you can have some people here, mm-hmm. some in the canteen, some in the ICU, kind of all doing their own bits. Staff room, car park, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. This really is... It, it starts to feel quite cramped at times, especially when you have 15 or so people in the kitchen. Yeah, 15 A-list stars. Yeah. <laughs> Not all the way at the time. Well, yeah, there's a bunch of extras, and then you've got like five main characters all trying to kind of fight for a laugh as they sort of kind of walk around each other with knives and chopping. And you start to feel like, like you're being a bit squeezed in. Um, I also think it's interesting, one of the things I like watching about sitcoms is trying to figure out who the producers like and are upping their dialogue episode mm. by episode because, you know, they think, oh, that guy, we really like that guy. John Cho is hardly in episodes yeah. one to three. By the end, he's one of the main cast. He's he, in... There's a whole episode built around him. There's a whole episode point. built around him. And there's always a bit like a post-episode where they're in a bar or playing poker at their, one of their flats. And he's not, in, he's not invited to the flats bar stuff until about episode seven or eight. And when he suddenly is, and you knew that if he was, if that show got a second season, he would have been in the main credits list. And but, I was, whereas I like, like, oh, one, Yeoman's kind of, he's still there, but he, I feel there. like he gets cut back a little bit as it goes. He's like the second person in the first few episodes, and then he drops yes, back a yeah, little bit. Yeah, he is kind of second lead, and then he just becomes part of the ensemble. The ensemble, yeah. And yeah, so it's interesting to see just from kind of a personal point of view of someone who likes looking at the behind the scenes stuff. 
But you know when you're interested about the behind-the-scenes stuff, it means that the show itself isn't really working <laughs> that well. I was working well enough. I wasn't bored ever, but I, I found myself just thinking, oh, I wonder, did the producers like... And they didn't like that. Uh-huh, I see what's going on here. And that's a show that's not grabbing me. No. No, uh, yeah, I, I kind of... Uh, I think I, again, I was doing the same thing. I was thinking, I was thinking of the, the kind of okay, so that's why they've made that decision and that's why they've done that and they're trying to push those characters together and they're trying to push those ones together and they're trying to create this... T- and again, like, like you say, you, when you're starting to think of the mechanics of it, it's probably not funny enough or not gelled. Having said that, if it got to like three seasons or four seasons, the amount of sitcoms that I think don't gel in the first season... And actually, like if I compare... If I watch this next to the first season of Parks and Rec or if I watch this next to the first season of... Um, uh, of oh, a whole host of sitcoms, really. There's so many out there that the first season's a bit shaky. I actually think it stands up fairly well, and it, and you could imagine, I could bearing in mind the level of talent involved and the level of the creators and the directors and and stuff and and just on screen talent. Actually, by like season two or three, it could have been quite a well oiled show. Just would have no connection to Kitchen <laughs> Confidential in any way, shape or form. Um, and Anthony Bourdain, other than the surname of the lead character. But other than that, I could see it, I could have seen it become, I mean, the first season of Scrubs is a bit shaky. Like, I could have seen it turning into something quite good, but um, I think it just got panned because people were like, I love that book, Kitchen Confidential. This is nothing like it. And that was pretty much every review. And I think, yeah, everyone just went, nah, we'll, we'll get rid of this. Yeah, it seems like they were hoist by their own petard there. Yeah, I think maybe it would have been seen in a better light if they'd have just called it like, um, I don't know, the name of the restaurant or something. You know, that's a stupid well, name. But anyway, but yeah, you know what I mean? Like something, yeah. they could have called it something totally different. Well, they could have called it, they were originally a production company was trying to get Kitchen Confidential made into a movie with Brad Pitt, and but they wanted to change the title to see it. So maybe this could have been called Seared instead. But that would have been a stupid decision, though. If you and, and if you actually were trying to make Kitchen Confidential into a movie, into its own proper glory. you would call it Kitchen Confidential. Yeah, give this if you're making seared. a thing about someone who owns a restaurant in New York, but, the, uh, but other than that has nothing to... Or is a chef in a restaurant in New York. But other than that has almost nothing to do with Kitchen Confidential. Then you give it the name of, uh, you know... Burnt cooked, or seared cooked, or, yeah. or um, boiled or whatever. Exactly. There you go. That that that's where it kind of falls down for me. But I think that kind of probably review- wraps this all up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so first off, Callum, the bear. The bear was excellent. I think um, overall a nine out of ten. Um, th- there's a standout ten out of ten episode, and the first couple of episodes, it, it finds its footing. It's, it's never um, bad. It, it kind of hit comes out of the gate swinging, swinging with 8 out of 10 episodes and then quickly propels up. But I think overall, it's a, it's a 9 out of 10. I imagine season 2 beyond will be into kind of full proper 10 kind of category, like The Wire or something like that. Yeah, I agree. I would give it a 9 hands down. It's one of the... There's certain shows that I really look forward to coming out, um, like Succession and I'm looking forward to the second season of Severance and... Um, and so and you, I have these ones that I really like and it's now in that club it's in the oh yes there's a new series coming out <laughs> I'm excited kind of from mode 
So no, really happy with it. Highly recommend watching it. Really engaging, really funny at times, really really like the drama. All the acting's very well done. Yeah, can't really fault it, really. The only reason I'm giving it a nine is because there's a 10 out of 10 episode and, and all the others are probably nine, so the average is nine. Yeah, yeah. And Kitchen Confidential. It's a likeable show. It's the kind of Comedy Central show I probably would have watched in 2005. I actually definitely watched on Comedy Central in yeah. 2005, 2006. I remember it being advertised there because, you know, I was watching Scrubs and, and all those shows around that time. It's the kind of sitcom that brought me up. So while it, it itself is not good, I have warm feelings about this era of television and with a very likeable cast of the lead. I, I can't really fault it even when it's kind of nothing. So I'm going to say six out of ten. Yeah, I would agree. I actually was going to give it a six too. Um, I think it is really easy to watch. It, well, it's not easy to watch. It's really hard to find, actually. It's not on any streaming service anymore by the looks of it. But um, but easy to watch from a point of watching a point of view. Um, I, I, the, the quality of the actors in it shines through. They're all very funny. The material at times is shaky. Um, and But they, they manage to deliver it very well. You know, it's very formulaic at times, but there's a reason there's a formula, one would say, and there's a lot of other ones that are formulaic that don't manage to tick the boxes or go off formula in the, in the form and whatever they try and concoct doesn't work. So from that point of view, it, yeah, it's perfectly fine. Um, if I was rating it as a review for a book based on the book, <laughs> or a, film, a show based on the book, eventually it would be a one, but just taking it on face value as a sitcom, ignoring the name, I'll give it a six too, so... We've agreed on yes. both scores. Shocker. Yeah, right right down the line. Okay. So that's a nine and a must watch for the bear and a six and a, eh, I'm hungover and just want something on in the background for... If you can find an old DVD and CEX for, for 50p, then you could do a lot worse. Give it a 50p. go. Absolutely. Anywho, um, have a lovely week um, and we will be back next week same time uh, with a podcast that we're about to f- record in two minutes from now because yes. i will be out of the country <laughs> yeah. Yeah, see you all later see you bye, bye. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTER Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.